Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. All of you joining us by video or audio podcast, welcome to you. It's the second Sunday in March, which makes it Spring Forward Sunday. We all turned our clocks up one hour. Uh, those of you in Cafe Worship this morning, just look around the room. If there are some extra people, those are people who did not turn their clocks forward, and they were coming to 8.30 worship service this morning. So welcome to all of you in Cafe. Open your Bibles this morning to a very important passage, Psalm 32. Psalm 32, starting a new message series uh, from now to Easter entitled, Come See, Go Tell. It's not really a message series, it's more of a message season. These are the sermons that we will use to uh, sort of pave the road for us to Calvary, to the cross with Christ, and then of course to the celebration of, of Easter. Uh, we're going to begin in the only place to begin when it comes to coming to God, coming to the Lord, and, and that is to the matter of our sin. If we're going to come to God, we come to God on His terms, not on our terms. And when we come to God, the scripture says we come to him confessing our sins, knowing that he is God and we are not God and therefore having to agree with God about the truth of our lives and the truth of our sin. Until we're willing to do that, we cannot at all come to God. We can only come confessing and only come as sinners. Psalm 32 is a great, great passage to help us remember how God forgives sinners. Now, when we talk about forgiveness in church, I know when some of you hear the, the language of forgiveness, you, you almost out of habit disregard it. Forgiveness is very impossible to accept and very, very difficult to believe in. And of all people to forgive, the hardest person to forgive is usually myself. It's usually ourselves. And for that reason, when you read something like Psalm 32, where the, the psalmist King David talks about the miracle of forgiveness, you're inclined to think that that's just church talk. That somehow the, whoever writes this or talks like this doesn't understand what real sin is. What you know about David, right? He, he is as real a sinner as they come. So when he writes this passage, when he writes these verses, you got to know he's writing from a place that he knows about. It. It's a place of sin. You remember his story, right? I mean, King David was the most powerful man in the world in his day. He was wealthy, he was powerful, and in all of his wealth and prominence, he grew very lustful and lazy. One particular day, the scripture says, he slept in late. He watched an entire season of Game of Thrones on Netflix in his pajamas, and then he stepped out uh, on the roof of his palace to look over his kingdom there in the middle of the day, and in his gaze, he saw a woman of unusual beauty named Bathsheba taking a bath, and he determined to have her. So he sent the secret service, they brought her to him, and, and he laid with her. Now, now just stop right there. You need to understand that since he's the king, he gets everything he wants, and, and therefore Bathsheba never had a say in any of that. You know that, right? You, you can't read that story as if somehow she wanted him to. This is not consensual. This is a man who simply takes what he wants, and what he wanted was her, but not really her. He just wanted to use her to satisfy his lust, which he did. And when he was done with her, he sent her back away. He probably figured he got away with it until she texted him one day and said, I'm pregnant. Which was very, very difficult because her husband was in the army stationed out of the country. And so suddenly David realizes he's got to cover his sin. He, long story short, he has her husband killed. And Uriah was a good man. He was a good man. He had him killed. And then he just took Bathsheba as his wife, and he stuck her in the back of his harem, thinking that that would make his problem go away. It, it didn't make his problem go away. 
that's the thing about sin. It's the thing about our lives where we determine in our lives to, to hide our sin from God, to run from God. Start with this statement right here. You never rest. You never rest when you're running from God. David discovers the hard way that when you're running from God, you never rest. Psalm 32 is a wonderful, wonderful passage which reminds us how difficult it is to run and hide from God, how wonderful it is when finally we come out honestly before him. Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and, and, and my bones groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts Hearts are pure. Who has a pure heart? Who has a pure heart? If you're from Bowling Green, this is familiar to you, but take a look at this picture, if you will, please. Uh, it's been in the news, uh, national news everywhere. You know what this is? Can you see it? It's a hole. It, it, it's a giant hole. This is the famous uh, Corvette sinkhole. Now, uh, it's beginning to be repaired. Uh, this is a, a wonderful museum if, if you're not from around these parts. It's the Corvette Museum. Corvettes are only made in one place in the world, and that's Bowling Green, Kentucky. There's a marvelous museum there by the factory. And, and uh, this is a beautiful yellow sky dome, if you see it from the interstate, with this big red uh, amazing spire that comes up like a steeple. You know they call this the Church of the Corvette. There's a sermon in that I won't preach today, but, but they call this the Church of the Corvette. And the earth opened and swallowed up the idols. Did, 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 you, get, did you get that part? <laughs> church of the Corvette. Honestly, uh, it's, it's, an, it's an amazing kind of thing. Kentucky, we all know about sinkholes, but even this is shocking to, to us. Uh, this is a museum floor, and there were something like eight priceless cars sitting in, in, in this museum. And, and then one day back in February, February 12th, something like that, it literally, it just collapsed. It just collapsed, and eight cars plunged in, into the earth. This is something like 40 feet wide and something like 20 feet deep, although I'm still not sure they found all the cars yet. 
which, which is somehow amazing. But what's amazing to this about, uh, about this to me is the simple fact that, that, that this was probably a long time developing and nobody knew that. In other words, while the floor sat there solid and while people walked across this floor and parked these million-dollar cars across the floor here, underneath, beneath all the appearances, things were beginning to crumble. Things were collapsing, and nobody knew. In the silence, in the invisible darkness of the ground, the earth underneath this museum was giving way until finally it all just collapsed. That's the kind of process, spiritual process, that David talks about in Psalm 32. Do you see that? It's a before and after picture if you read Psalm 32. And it's before and after he confesses this sin. Now the first part is before. He starts in verse 3. He says, when I was silent, when I refused to confess my sin. This is the before picture. Now, you need to understand and see what David is, is describing here. Before he confessed to sin, he says, I, I, was, I was silent. Now, what he's saying, of course, is that there was a time when I went on as if I had nothing to confess. There was this period of time when I didn't talk about my guilt. I didn't talk about my sin. But, but during that time, I just kept up appearances. I just continued to go on as if I was okay, as if everything was okay, but underneath the surface, but beyond the appearances which I maintained for a while, my soul was caving in. This is what he says. When I remained silent, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. It's interesting. He says, when I tried to be silent, my bones groaned. Interesting. Just to stop right there. When he says, I was silent, I remained silent, you know, of course, he's not saying he was mute. He, he's not saying at all that during that time he didn't talk. He probably went on with uh, his business every single day. But the point is, he never talked about the one thing he really needed to talk about. Now, now as a Sunday morning preacher, let, let me just say, I, I feel like this is what we do most every Sunday of our lives, if, if you won't mind my being so bold as to say so. I, I feel like every Sunday of our lives, we come into this place, and we sing around it, and we pray around it, and we preach around it, but we never actually deal with the real thing. We never really actually talk about the thing that we most need to talk about, and that's probably our sin, our, our guilt. We, we just keep that hidden. For as long as we can, we just keep it hidden. But, but, but what you have to understand is even though you're not talking about it, and even though you're going on as if there's nothing to talk about, under the surface, beneath everything in your heart, things are collapsing, things are giving in. It's, it's the thing about guilt. David talks about his guilt. He says, blessed are those whose guilt is forgiven, whose, whose sin is lifted. Just a few things about guilt. First off, I want you to understand that guilt has a way of destroying your confidence. Guilt destroys your confidence. You say, well, big deal. What's confidence? Confidence is, is your life. Do you understand? Confidence is that sense of security in, in living your own life. But when you begin to keep secrets, when you begin to harbor your sin and hide your sin, guilt destroys your confidence. You begin to live in this kind of insecurity. And it's understandable because basically you've begun living a kind of pretend life. 
Your confidence is gone because you now have secrets that you have to keep. And secrets are very, very difficult to maintain. And there's a lot of anxiety that goes along with trying to make sure that nobody finds you out. Guilt has a way of destroying your confidence in life because all of a sudden you're constantly preoccupied with covering your tracks. Now this confidence also has a way of, of, of destroying and damaging your relationships. Guilt damages relationships because you've lost your security, lost that confidence. And so in relationships now, when I'm harboring sin, when, I, when I'm holding back my guilt... It begins to become an obstacle in relationships, primarily because, because I am vaguely aware of the fact that, that people are loving me for the person I pretend to be and not for the person I actually am. Now, they don't know that, but, but I know that. It becomes an obstacle when it comes to intimacy. I don't want people close to me because if you get close to me, you'll begin to understand who I actually am. Guilt damages relationships for this matter. If you get very close, if you begin to look around the corners of my life, you'll start to see things that I have determined that you're never going to see. That's why I have to keep you at a distance. Now, now if we stop right here and preach a little bitty marriage sermon, let me just help you connect the dots here. A lot of marriage problems are actually guilt problems. And it could be that your marriage problems have something to do with guilt in, in one or the other of your lives. Because guilt absolutely destroys intimacy. Men, I could say this to you, that the sexual problems that you have with your wife could very, very be related to guilt. Maybe it's guilt over unfaithfulness in the past or maybe in the present. Or maybe it's guilt that has to do with your habit with pornography. Now, why in the world you would continue to choose fake people, images over a real live woman in your bed is beyond me. But the guilt begins to pile up when you have this that you're hiding from her. And that guilt becomes a very, very real obstacle when it comes to intimacy. So understand, guilt damages relationships and it will destroy a marriage. Absolutely. And one last thing, guilt has this incredible way of keeping me stuck in the past. Guilt will leave you in the past. Living with guilt, hiding your guilt, keeping these secret sins. Do you understand? It's like trying to drive with only looking in the rearview mirror. You, you just can't do it. Guilt will leave you stuck in the past. You'll continue to rehearse and, and go over your regrets. You'll continue to ask, what if? And I wish I'd done something different. You continue to live with this incredible regret. It keeps you tied in the past. It won't let you move into the future, and it ruins the present. Guilt leaves you stuck in the past. So David says, when, when I would not confess, when I remain silent, my, my bones ached, my juices dried up. He describes this in very physical terms. This is something that he felt bodily, that the heaviness of, of the secret, that the incredible burden of guilt, he, he felt this, he, he carried it every single day, that the secret. I've said before, and you've probably heard it before, but, but secrets make you sick. Secrets make you sick. Whatever it is that, that you choose to hide, whatever it is that you choose to bury, you give incredible power to whatever it is in your life that you try to hide. You see, the problem is you're burying something that's alive. When you bury something in your life, you have to make sure that you always bury it dead. 
But the problem is when you're keeping a secret, when, when you're hiding your guilt, you're burying something alive, and it's only going to haunt you every single day. And the deeper you try to bury it, the more powerfully it will rule your life. You know this. You're living this, some of you. You've got to understand that your secrets will make you sick. The secrets will poison your spiritual life. They will poison your life life. Do you not understand? You give incredible power to whatever it is you're trying to hide. As long as I remain silent, David says, my bones ache. My juices dried up. You know about this, don't you? I mean, the fact that you never talk about it, it doesn't mean that that you don't know what it is to have your bones ache like that from guilt. I know. I know what it is to be loved for the person I pretend to be as opposed to the sinner that I am. I know what this is, and you do too, and King David knew. As long as I remain silent, he says, my, my, my bones ache. My, my, my strength was just dried up like, like water in the summer. But, but, but then he says, but, but then, verse 5, finally I confessed all my sins to you. Stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. It's the most miraculous few words in all the scripture. You, you forgave me. He just forgives. All my guilt is gone. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let the godly pray to you while there's still time, that they may not drown in the flood waters of judgment, for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. All my guilt is gone. Do you understand that this is an, a, a possibility for you? You don't have to live with the guilt. You don't have to live with the sin. You don't have to live with the secrets. The moment the secret dies, you begin to live. Don't you understand this? The moment you no longer have to consume all of your energy in covering your tracks, suddenly you'll find a new energy for living. You don't have to live a slave to your own secrets. The amazing thing is it, the power of sin in our life is very related to, to, to its secrecy. And the moment you speak it out loud, the moment you reveal who you really are, the moment you just simply say it out loud, sin loses some of its power over over you. The power is in the secret. Finally, finally, I confessed all my sins to you. It starts right there. Do you understand? You first have to confess all your sins. I confessed all my sins. The Hebrew word for all, it means all. Confess all your sins to God. Well, I do that, Brother Tim. I pray, all, I pray every day and I say, when I pray, I say, Lord, forgive me for all my sins. Yeah, I do that too. There's a college kid named Stanley. Not, not any college kid you know, I promise. College kid named Stanley who, who was going off to college. And his mom had always done his laundry. This guy had never washed a pair of boxers in his whole life. And his mother was sending him into the world. And she panicked at the last minute. Because she knew this kid cannot do laundry. He has no idea. So, so mom got this big canvas duffel bag. And she said, listen, Stanley, just every day when you take off your clothes, put them in this bag. And then once a week, take this bag down to the laundromat, put, put quarters in the machine, put in some powder, and, and wash all your clothes. Th that's just what you do. Stanley said, mom, I believe I can do it. 
So he did. He went off to college. Every day he'd take off his dirty clothes. He'd put them in that duffel bag. At the end of seven days, he took that duffel bag down to the laundromat. He opened the washing machine. He put the duffel bag in. <laughs> Just put it in. Put some quarters in. Added some washing powder. Hit the button. Sat back. Pretty soon, everyone in the laundromat heard this big thump, 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 thump. Big old bag. This pretty girl comes over and says, uh, listen, I'd like to, it's none of my business, but I think if you took the clothes out of the bag, I think if you took the clothes out of the bag, your clothes would get cleaner. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. This, uh, Lord, just forgive me for all my sins. You know, it's kind of like just putting the whole bag in the washing machine. Don't you think your sins deserve some individual attention? I mean, every Thanksgiving, you want to count your blessings one by one. Why don't you try counting all your sins one by one? It would do your heart good. You, you confess all your sins. Slow down, baby. You understand? Slow down and say them out loud one by one. Confess your sin. You're agreeing with God about your sin. And once and for all, you're saying it out loud. And your soul needs to do this. Just confess. This is where it begins. You just confess. But, but let's go on. Step number two. Accept responsibility for your faults. Now, see, the problem is once I start confessing, then I start excusing myself. Now, God, forgive me for doing that, but now you know I'm just like my mama. Lord, forgive me for doing that, but they deserved it. Lord, forgive me for cussing, but if you was married to this woman, you'd cuss too. I mean, that's how we think. We immediately begin to make excuses for ourselves. You know, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't get angry if, if you didn't always be on my back. You understand? But, but no, no, no. You've got to accept responsibility for your faults. These are your sins. You can try to blame other people for the rest of your life, but it won't give you one inch more freedom than when you finally simply recognize that you are your problem. You are your problem. Let's just think back to all the terrible moments of your life. Let's think back to all the awful things you've done. Notice a pattern. You were there every time. You were there. Somebody was making choices. It was you. It was not your wife or your ex-wife. It was not your ex-boyfriend. It was not your kids. You're no good lazy kids. It, it, it was not anybody else. You are your problem. And I am my problem. And as long as I continue to try to shift the blame, as long as I continue to try to say, if everybody would just stay off my back, I could, no, 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 no. It's not about everybody. It's about me. I am my problem, and you are your problem. When you confess your sins, you just accept responsibility. Stop excusing yourself. Stop trying to give reasons and make your sins sound logical. You're a sinner. You mess up. So do I. Sometimes horribly. I've got to accept responsibility for that. My sin is my fault. It's always my fault. I did it. I chose it. And I must confess it. Accept responsibility. This means that you just stop the whole bargaining with God thing. Some of you say, Lord, if you just forgive me, I'll be a missionary. If you forgive me, I'll preach. If you forgive me, I'll, I'll keep the nursery. No, 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 I'll be a missionary. This, we just sort of start making all these deals with God. You understand? There's no deal to be made here. You don't have anything to offer him except your guilt. And all he wants to do is take that away. You don't need to bargain. You don't even need to beg. 
You don't need to plead. You just need to confess and accept responsibility. Just stop hiding. You understand? Just be honest. For once in your life, just be honest. Confess all your sin. Accept responsibility for your faults and ask God for forgiveness. Does that sound too simple? Ask God for forgiveness. He forgives freely. He forgives completely. When God forgives, unlike people, he'll never bring it up again. Now you will, but you can stop that. Because he forgives. He just forgives. Scripture says he takes your sin as far as the east is from the west. And my old preacher used to say east and west never meet. You understand? Now, if it said as far as the north is from the south, if you start going north, picture the globe. If you start going north, eventually you meet south. You understand? Eventually you're going south. But if you start heading east, you'll never get to west. You see that? And the scripture says he takes your sin as far as east from the west. You'll never meet your sin again, going or coming. He takes it away. This is what Jesus has done for you. He, he takes it away. Ask God for forgiveness. Get this, there's no sin so great that God's forgiveness is not greater still. Brother Tim, you don't understand what I've done. I don't care what you've done. No sin is so great that God's forgiveness is not greater still. Well, I can't forgive myself. Well, get over yourself. Do you understand? God forgives. You, you sinned against God, and, and if he pronounces you forgiven, you're forgiven. It doesn't even matter what you say anymore. Do you understand? You're the sinner. He's the forgiver. He forgives completely. He forgives freely. He forgives forever. A couple of things about this passage. That last verse. The last verse which says, shout for joy all you whose hearts are pure. I ask you the question, who's got a pure heart? Shout for joy all you whose hearts are pure. What does that even mean? Talking about perfect people? No. It's not about being a perfect person. It's about being a forgiven person. You can't be perfect. You can be forgiven. And when you experience forgiveness, you will shout for joy. Because there's nothing like it. Not perfect, just forgiven. And then don't miss this. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. Notice that in verse 5. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. And in verse 7, for you are my hiding place. What does that mean? There was a time when I tried to hide my sin from you and my bones wasted away. But then I stopped trying to hide from you. I stopped trying to run from you. And I found that you are my hiding place. You never rest when you're running from God, but when you learn to just stop running from him and run to him, you find a place to hide. It, it is a place of peace. It is a place of grace. It is a place of incredible rest. You never rest when you're running from God, but when you run to him, suddenly your soul is at rest. Isn't that what you want? Aren't you tired of the secrets? Aren't you tired of the guilt? Aren't you tired of running from him? 
the offer is here. Don't run from him, run to him. Don't hide from him, hide in him. And you will find rest for your soul. Pray with me. Oh God, there are those in the sound of my voice whose bones, bones are aching. Hearts are just collapsing, Lord, with guilt. Lord, there are men and women and young people in this house today, Lord, bearing secrets, hiding, so afraid of being found out, determined, Lord, that nobody will ever really know the things they've done, the things they're capable of thinking. Lord, Jesus, set us free from hiding. Lord, it really doesn't matter what we hide from the world, Lord. You see us and you know us. And it is truly only against you that we sin. So, Lord, it's only you who can judge us. But you don't judge us. You forgive us. So, Lord, help us to stop running from the only one who can pronounce us forgiven. Help us to stop keeping the secret from the only one who sets us free with the truth. God, I pray that you'll set hearts free. Set my heart free. Lord Jesus, I pray that we could just live honestly before you, hiding ourselves in your holiness, in your righteousness, in your grace. Lord, I pray for every weary, weary soul bearing guilt and sin today. I pray that they would run to you and find rest, forgiveness, and peace. For you are our hiding place. Hide us away, Lord Jesus, in your grace. We pray for Jesus' sake.